In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <clears throat> Today's epistle focuses on the coming of Christ. St. Paul writes, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Today's gospel teaches us that we must forgive those who have wronged us. And Jesus makes the point with a very harsh warning, quote, so shall my heavenly Father do to you if each one of you from your heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We should note that uh, in the New Testament word brothers is a generic word for all Christians. This is not an exception that allows you to hold grudges against your sister. The two themes are related. The hope that our lives are heading towards the ultimate consummation, their ultimate consummation in the, in the appearing of Christ, puts this life in its proper perspective, the perspective from which we are able to forgive those who have hurt us. The New Testament teaching about the coming of Christ is often discounted. The New Testament writers seem to have expected Jesus to return very soon. And since this didn't happen, it's been 2,000 years since the New Testament, roughly, uh, the tendency is to put the hope of the second coming, the appearing of Christ, <clears throat> into the background. However, when we do this, we miss a central point of the New Testament, and we miss the larger point of the second coming, or the appearing of Christ. Sometimes it's called the second coming, sometimes it's called the appearing of Christ. Uh, and the larger point is that it doesn't really matter when it will happen. What matters is that he will appear. <clears throat> and when he does appear, that will be the, the end or goal of time, of the creation, and of each of our lives. And it doesn't matter if we die first. Because in the theology of the church, the dead in Christ wait along with us for this ultimate day of Christ's appearing. <clears throat> so whenever we remove the appearing of Christ, the second coming of our Lord, from the center of our faith, from its end and goal, we miss what the New Testament is saying to us. The practical problem is how to relate this hope to our daily activities. On the one hand, we have this transcendent hope. Our Lord will appear. He will finish the new creation he began on the cross and in the resurrection. He will make all things new. On the other hand, we have the daily challenges of life, which often necessarily focus on short-term goals, sometimes just how we're going to get through this day or this week. And this can lead to a dual life. Daily behavior focused on just getting through the day and the week and a faith that aims towards the ultimate consummation of all things. <clears throat> this separation can only be integrated as we learn to see Christ in all things and to see all the things that happen in our lives as part of the story, our unique story, that will come to its fruition at the appearance of our Lord. This requires a continual reorientation of our lives towards Christ. 
And this is the purpose of the life of prayer. Through prayer, Christ enters into our lives in the current moment, in anticipation of his appearing at the end, in the consummation of all moments. Biblical morality, why we should behave the way we do day by day, is based on the ultimate or true meaning of all created things. Each person we meet is created in the image of God, and each member of the body of Christ has been born again into the image of Christ. Thus, everybody bears the image of God, and the way we treat people is how we, therefore, treat God. That's what the Bible is telling us. Jesus taught that at the judgment at the end of time, he will say to us, quote, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And that's the linkage between uh, the summary of the law, loving God and loving your neighbor. Since your neighbor bears the image of God, the, the two are intricately and inseparably related. When we fail to see Christ in others, we begin to treat others only in terms of what we need or want from them now, or as a means to some temporal end, or as is very common in our time, in an economic valuation, as an expense on a balance sheet, or in terms of their, quote, net worth. And this leads us into the very dual existence that I mentioned above, behaving daily on one basis while having a hope that exists on another basis. The overarching importance of orienting our lives towards the coming of Christ explains why the New Testament calls painful states blessed. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not mean to teach us that it is a blessed thing in and of itself to be in pain. He meant that worldly disappointment can help to dislodge us from our preoccupation with what is temporal and can turn us towards God in faith. If being poor in spirit, if being sad over worldly disappointment, or being persecuted or opposed because we are doing what is right, leads us to disconnect from the world, to look beyond time and find our true life and hope in God's kingdom, then we are blessed. Conversely, if we are able in life to avoid all significant pain, if we have all we need and want, and if we succeed in everything we do, this can have a tendency to separate us from God and attach us to the world which is, in fact, passing away. Our overarching hope for the fulfillment of all things in Christ makes sense of the gospel teaching about forgiveness. In the gospel, a man who was forgiven by the king a debt of, say, five or ten million dollars, turns around and demands complete payment from a fellow servant who owes him a debt of what is perhaps two or three hundred dollars. This story is meant to contrast the debt that we owe to God through our various sins 
with the debt any other person might owe to us. We come to the altar of God each week asking God for mercy and forgiveness. And many of us have been at this for a long, long time, asking for mercy and forgiveness for a lot of things, and this adds up to a fairly large debt. It is incongruous for us then to leave the altar, having received this mercy from God, evidenced in the sacrament that brings us into communion with the Father, through the Son, and the Spirit, to go out and say of the people that we encounter every day that have hurt us, you have to, you have to make it right. We, you, you have to, you have to, to solve the, the, the hurt that you've caused me. There is much pastoral liturgy that teaches us about the value of forgiving others. When we hold grudges, we remain stuck in the past. The refusal to forgive past wounds robs us of the present moment. However, this teaching about forgiveness is incomplete without understanding how it connects with our ultimate hope. We must forgive because we already live in a kingdom that exists beyond time. That kingdom is present now through the Holy Spirit, and it will ultimately come to fruition in the appearance of our Lord. Past wounds that others have inflicted on us represent temporal hopes and dreams that we have lost. We hold on to the wounds because we hold on to the good that we wanted in the past. We are able to let go only when we choose instead the good that God has for us in the future. When we begin to look forward to the time when we will see Jesus face to face, when we will finally become the glorious and immortal beings that God intends us to be, we are then able to see the past in a new light as part of this process that is changing us into new people. In the timeless and profound words of Joseph to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. If all I have is my life and time, the temporal benefits of forgiveness may not be enough. If all I have is what I have between now and death, I may prefer to hold on to my pain and anger. I may prefer to use time as the arena to wallow in my anger and plot revenge. Or I may decide to use time just as a time to feel sorry for myself because we like to indulge ourselves that way sometimes. Forgiveness only makes complete sense if I am already living in the eternal kingdom and have developed the ability to see all things that are here in the light of eternity. St. Paul ends the epistle by stating the goal of the Christian life. <clears throat> Quote, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. This is what we are aiming for in the life of faith. This is why we come to church, and this is why we live a life of prayer. We want to be without defense, to be declared justified, blameless before Christ. 
And so we come to confess our sins, to experience the grace of forgiveness, and to experience the cleansing God gives us in Christ. However, our experience of grace is not complete until we also become dispensers of grace to other people, until we learn to forgive others in the same way that we ourselves have been forgiven. When we experience forgiveness and also forgive others, that future kingdom is manifested in the world right now. And the warning Jesus gives us in the gospel means essentially that if we will not live in that eternal kingdom as it is present right now through the Spirit, we won't be able to live in it when it comes in the fullness of its glory, when he comes in person. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.